obviously people sooner or later are going to say this is hollow I, and, and I'm actually more anxious and depressed than ever because I don't have meaning in my life. See, material things don't give meaning. They're mm. just material things. They don't have a meaning by definition. And Jesus says, come to me. I have meaning. You know, and, and so I think as people get more and more down the rabbit hole of YouTube and all this sort of stuff, I think our message may become even, it may become more salt and light to people with that. Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast here at the Third Space Studio at Sorovol Kirui. I'm excited to have everyone along with us listening and or watching, and uh, I'm also excited to have Stu. Hello, hello, Joel, and hello, everyone. Hello, Senior Pastor at Sorovol Church. It's great to have you along again for another Shock Absorber podcast, uh, and I also have Tim. Hello. Hey, Joel. Children's Pastor at Sorovol Church. That's the one. Excellent. Uh, guys, uh, we are talking about... The 2010s and 2020s and how we uh, actually minister in those times and how culture changes and we're looking at that through the lens of different artists, basically inspired by Polyphonic, the YouTube channel, but uh, the artist today is Kanye West. Now, again, guys, just a quick question. How high is he on your playlist? (laughs) Uh, This morning? Yeah, he was very high was very this morning. High. Yes, no, uh, yeah, no. Again, uh, I, I know him as a cultural icon, mm. um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've tried to get into a lot of hip hop, and I just I've never quite got there. There's, yeah, I'm too too much of a rock and roll and punk and yeah, kind of yeah. There's just yeah, there's just something I feel missing from the aesthetic of. Uh, Hip hop. <laughs> I do like it in soundtracks. I love watching a movie and having um, some R and B, hip hop, that really? kind of genre come in and just like, yeah, yeah. So I like it when it suits a feel. Um, but something to chuck in my iPod and um, listen to in the car, it just uh, doesn't rate very highly. I feel like Stuart, like it really pumps you up when you're doing a workout. Do you have it? Have you put some hip hop on? When <laughs> I've, you're I've heard out? it at the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get pretty pumped on hip hop at the gym. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I. That's I think that's the time I listen to hip hop the most. <laughs> so, but what's fun about it is that we like. If we're learning about this artist, we're also learning what they're trying to do mm. as a body of work, not just enjoying their work. Yeah, so that's, that's what's right. fun about it. Um, but uh, something that's exciting today is that we have a few guys behind the desk, including your son Ethan Stu. And Ethan, you're a bit, you know, a little bit more about Kanye than we do. Is that correct? He, he's he's um, a, little, a little bit more rotation on my on my <laughs> listening. Um, I got into got into Kanye when he became a Christian and released some music and I was like, oh, what does this sound like? And I listened to it. Oh, hey, camera. Um, I listened to it and um, then I went back and have now listened to all of his stuff and really, really like it and really enjoy his stuff. It was very cool. Um, and speaking of gym stuff, I have a mate, Tyson, who listens to one of his albums, Life of Pablo, as his gym workout. So he'll work out for the, ex- for the period of time that that album plays for oh, that's, really? cool. that's pretty epic does he do different things for different songs I, that, I, that, I, that was the extent of it he just he just told me that it hypes him up oh okay so, yeah. <laughs> this is the leg song this is the ab song <laughs> 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 um uh that's what's interesting though like one of the things that we'll touch on today is kanye becoming a christian mm. um but a uh, cultural artifact we've chosen as part of that is when uh ethan you can speak to this as well is that when uh kanye did the sunday service choir have you yes. now tell me what you know about this and what what actually it, how it transpired? Well, he just kind of disappeared and ran off into the desert with a whole <laughs> bunch with a choir, and it was very strange um, for everyone watching. And then suddenly, this stuff started getting released. Um, of it was just it was just like iPhone videos of Kanye and his choir singing um, gospel songs. And the fir- I think the first one that I noticed that went viral was. Um, them as a choir just having fun and singing smells like teen spirit okay. <laughs> and, and it was like not as a gospel like all the other stuff they were singing it was like and they they end up singing a whole bunch of different stuff um and as that's progressed it's it's turned it into it's turned into a church that he um has has pretty much started um he's gone on to um do a bunch of stuff with that uh he's brought on brought in uh, celebrity pastors and and different celebrities to sing with it and um, yeah, it's like a big show every Sunday um, that has a focus on God. And yeah, they sing a bunch of other stuff like that. Um, but it's it's really interesting that this this choir that um, that he's started is um, so famous and so big. And then that came into this uh, when he released "Jesus Is King," uh, which is uh, his album. Uh, 
the one that just after he became a Christian, he released that. Um, he was working on an album called Yandi, um, which was a follow-up album from Jesus. So he'd, he'd gone from <laughs> calling himself Jesus, and he was about to call himself Yandi. Um, and then he brings out this album called Jesus is King that really heavily features that choir um, singing along with him and bringing that kind of cool gospel. Like, and he'd done that kind of stuff before, like with Life, Life of Pablo, there's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, he really leaned into it heavily. And uh, one of the lyrics in in, G- in one of the songs in Jesus is King is um, everybody wanted Yandi, but Jesus Christ did the laundry. And <laughs> and so he's, he's, he's come out with this idea that he's actually been, he's been cleaned um, and changed from what he was uh, before, which is really interesting. I found it really interesting when he's talking about uh, being a Christian is like, I wonder how truthful it is because as we talk about a lot of the artists, they've often adopted different personas in order to keep moving along um, their musical trajectory. Um, but a lot of the times he, he talks about that 2019 album, Jesus is King, as an expression of the gospel. Um, and then he also had a listening party where he said, this album is made to be an expression of the gospel and share the gospel and truth of what Jesus has done. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he does for me, my soul cries out. So uh, I don't want to sound cynical because I, I think that might be a bit unfair, but it's always uh, interesting to see what these artists are doing. Um, the I always like to come up with a little bit of a quote that we um, have for one of these artists. And uh, I found one by Joe Karam, Karamanika in the New York Times. And he said... Mr. West has the most sweet generis hip-hop career of the last decade. No rapper has embodied hip-hop's often contradictory impulses of narcissism and social good quite as he has, and no producer has celebrated the lush and the ornate quite as he has. He has spent most of his career in additive mode, figuring out how to make music that's majestic and thought-provoking and also grand-scaled. He's also widened the genre's gates, whether for middle-class values or high-fashion and high-art dreams." which um, quite an interesting description, guys, because <laughs> um, uh, that also plays on the fact that he's also gone into um, fashion design and all that kind of thing. But his roots, which we'll, we'll go back to his background just to begin, he was born in 1977 in Atlanta but grew up in Chicago. He's now, he became, he was originally a producer um, and he worked a lot on um, beats for local artists in the mid-1990s. And then he became um, a producer working with Jay-Z, especially with his contributions on Jay-Z's album, The Blueprint, which was in 2001. Um, And he's uh, known to have actually revitalized the career of Jay-Z as a producer and a beat maker. But they reckoned that the breakthrough moment in his career came when he almost had a near-fatal car crash in California. He actually fell asleep while driving. Um, and it left him with a shattered jaw that needed to be wired shut in reconstructive surgery. And then two weeks later, he called a song through the wire while his jaw was still wired shut, um, which is um, quite some dedication, I would say. Uh, he, explored, he explored his feelings about the accident and laid the foundation of his debut album. And then the interesting thing is that he almost signaled the end of gangster rap, so um, which is very masculine and aggressive, but he had a more preppy fashion sense um, he wore it sometimes at the very beginning he wore a backpack on stage so he was challenging the authenticity of the gangster rap scene and explored different sounds um, even uh, it was the, the funny thing about him was that though he was rising to prominence Jay-Z's Rockefeller um, uh, label was uh, unwilling or almost or, sorry I should say reluctant to, uh, to sign him because it was so different to gangster rap but then became he, like basically started to become popular. So they're like, well, we better sign you. We've signed this guy up. Um, now, the most interesting thing is, and I think, guys, you, it'd be cool if you stepped in on this too, is that um, he became famous for interrupting Taylor Swift's acceptance of a video, a music award. And I don't know if you've seen that, but he gets up on stage while um, uh, Taylor Swift is accepting the award and he gets up on stage and says, hey, everyone, uh, look, I'll let you finish, but... Uh, Beyonce should have won this for the single ladies, the single ladies um, video clip. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. Saying, so Taylor, that like almost launched part of Taylor's career. We've talked about Taylor, talking about how she's been criticised and... Um, given a hard time, but then also uh, at that time when he did it, uh, Kanye became highly criticised as well and he went into a, a moment to what to write his um, magnum opus, which is called My 
beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. I've got to get that right. Anyway, guys, a lot of information there. Uh, anything you'd like to add to that before we, we move on to talking about how he impacts culture as much as, uh, as, much as he does? You got anything to add? Well, I think that that moment at the MTV Awards uh, is really interesting. Um, firstly, it, it brings together three of the cultural artists and icons that we've talked about yeah. this season. Yeah. Yeah, Beyonce is there in the moment. Um, Taylor Swift's there in the moment. Kanye's there. And so they're all interacting. So we, we kind of see there an encapsulation of a lot of these um, icons that are um, – and what's the dynamic that they have between them. Um, and you're right, yes, for it did sort of springboard – uh, Taylor Swift um, and it also divided the public opinion of Kanye um, and I remember uh, w- watching it when it first came out and seeing it come up on YouTube and all social medias uh, and again I, I only knew all three of these people as cultural icons I wasn't a fan of any of their particular music but I knew who they all were uh, and yeah immediately I thought oh wow yeah like this guy's a real jerk isn't he like <laughs> yeah as if you'd interrupt someone else's acceptance and yeah and it and become quickly became a meme um and just yeah got into the the whole ethos of the culture um but yeah the the number of things mixed up in there there's there's ego there's um you know we're going to talk a bit about consumerism and the way that that impacts as well uh just all these artists the the competition that's there the rivalry that can sometimes happen um it is quite an interesting moment and, and interesting that he's dealing with that uh, i think you had um some of your research here joe that uh, i can't remember who someone recommended to him that it was good for him to leave the country oh yes yeah i've got to find who that was but he, he basically goes and, and yes goes to hawaii to, to oh, do his most, most deaf yes mm. um and so yeah it does take this big break from the public um scene uh for a while and then comes out with with a yeah, a grand album at the end of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, really significant moment for for his career, for Taylor's career, um, and of course, yeah, the touch point was that it was also had been a big year for Beyonce as well. Mm. Well, like all like all the art- artists that we've looked at, as you, as you saying, Tim, um, it, there's always a, uh, the artists manage they manage to stay on top of the game, always ride the waves of culture, and so. Um, but it's also um, mixed with the way that they adapt as an artist. So with the first maybe three albums that Kanye released were about him on the come up, becoming famous, um, becoming re- really an important part of the musical scene. Um, in 2007, graduation album, the 50 Cent's um, Curtis came out at around the same time as graduation. And uh, that was that was where they reckoned that that was where the moment that gangster rap ended because um, Kanye sold more than four hundred four hundred thousand more albums than um, Fifty Cent did, and Fifty Cent had actually, um, uh, oh, sorry Kanye I should say, wanted to emulate you too after touring with them. He wanted to have such a grand experience, so he's like built up to this point of like, well now I can do arenas, and then he released Eight Oh Eights and Heartbreak. He's like, oh it's lonely at the top. So now, so now I need to move on again, and that's when he has that moment. It's mm. lonely at the top. I'm going to go out and annoy Taylor Swift and a number of her fans. <laughs> get told by Moz Def, oh, I need to leave the country. And now I'm going to record my my big my big piece of uh, um, musical artistry, and that's when he goes to Hawaii um, and release and records. I think he hired out the studio for like six months. It's like no one else is coming in the studio, guys, <laughs> which I think is funny. And then, like after that, it's also he'll do collaborations with Jay Z. Then he gets to Yeezus, as we're talking about. It's like a self deification moment. He's he's now I'm at the top. Now I'm going to turn myself into a god. And now and then, as we get later on into 2019, Jesus King, oh, I'm actually now I'm going to give him. He's he's saying that he's going to give himself over to the real God, mm. which is fascinating. Um, Stu, like we we talk about a lot of the things how the 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 artist matches the culture, um, but we also what we've been doing this season is looking at how um, a number of frameworks that Ian Hussey has set up. Um, I'm wondering uh, we talked about consumerism. I'm wondering if you can help us uh, link those things that Kanye is doing to the things that. Um, uh, Ian Hussey is talking about. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in a couple of Ian Hussey's uh, categories for understanding culture. Um, wealth and consumerism is a really big part of uh, our culture in Australia and Western cultures, and also secularism. I think that's an interesting uh, thing to talk about today with him uh, self-deifying himself and then actually uh, 
proclaiming to become a Christian. And uh, yeah, that's a really interesting divergent uh, countercultural aspect mm, to him. Mm. So he's got this sort of culturally relevant aspect with this wealth and consumerism. And then he's got this almost countercultural perspective that he had as well. But if I could take the first one first, I think uh, it's interesting the way people display power in our culture today. I think that if you go back. 200 years to the big powers of the day, the big powers would be self-aggrandizing themselves with really elaborate shows of power. And, uh, for example, you know, the the British Empire, which was a really big empire, uh, they uh, conquered India and ended up taking on all the glamour and um, splendour of the Indian culture almost to say that we need to be as splendid as the Indian culture and have all this pomp and regalia if we're going to rule this country. And post-British Empire, they've still got the, uh, the, the pomp and ceremony stuff. You know, you go to a, uh, any royal event these days in London and you'll see all these flags and soldiers and, and you'll see the Queen processing in this really ornate um, 200-year-old uh, horse and carriage, you yeah. know, this sort of stuff. But then if you compare that to... That old, you know, if you compare that old form of power to new forms of power, and you look at when you you can see it most when you see the president of the United States meeting with the Queen, new forms of power actually show themselves by understatement. So the American president will rock up in a black limousine, just wearing a suit, very simple, and it's almost saying that I am so powerful I don't have to dress up like that. So the old power would dress up to show power, and new power dresses down. And so when you see award ceremonies, you often see music artists rocking up to this fabulous, uh, expensive award ceremony, which is the pinnacle of their uh, year, I suppose, as an art industry. And they'll wear a T-shirt and a pair of sneakers and a pair of jeans. You know, that that was particularly prominent in the 80s. Although I think the hip-hop style has taken that in a new direction. There seems to be, again, a new flavorsome to the cultural aspect there that seems to be coming up with people like Kanye West and the glamour seems to be coming back again however when you look at that moment when Kanye gets up on stage uh, and says oh I don't agree with this award going to Taylor Swift there's almost this he's so wealthy that he's so powerful that he doesn't have to abide by the protocols of that that scene and he can actually stand up and just in his own mind he can stand up and say well actually i disagree Mm -hmm. and funnily enough a lot of people actually go wow you are so powerful and so wealthy that you can do that so tim it was interesting hearing your response to that is oh that's rude to get up and say that in someone's speech but i think a lot of people would have read that as wow you're very very powerful you're very wealthy knowledgeable yeah well well well, very wealthy so wealth brings power so in our culture as in many cultures throughout history, wealth is the ultimate power, isn't it? So his his wealth and prestige is is almost going beyond the award ceremony. He doesn't need the award ceremony. It's almost like he doesn't care what the institution thinks. And we've come up against that anti-institutionalised form of our culture too previously when we've talked about how in modern Australia and Western countries, anti-institutionalism is a new... Um, uh, va- uh, value that people have it's 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 almost like a sign of righteousness if you can be anti- anti-institutional so mm. he just really understands that moment and i think i think it was thought through and yeah it was a protest against taylor swift getting something that he thought um beyonce should have got but it's also i think about him as well that, that's how i read it and i also wonder uh, in terms of the institution uh that he he and beyonce have institutional power within the pop scene mm-hmm. um and here's this up and coming you know young person who doesn't have that same um influence power in the scene and so uh there, there is a little bit of that anti-establishment as you say but there, mm-hmm. one, there's also uh pr- maybe a protection of their establishment um their institutionalization of, of power and not seeing this young up-and-coming person as being worthy perhaps of this award, which actually should have gone to, you know, the Queen of Pop um, and validating her already existing power. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, so, so no matter how wealthy he is or how powerful he is, he's, he's leaning into that new power dynamic mm. of, like, I'm going to actually show power by standing up now and criticising this. Mm. And if he'd have done that in the 1950s, that would have had a completely different reaction from the public. It wouldn't have, would have been the end of his career. But actually it was the beginning of his career because that was really interesting isn't it so um, and I think again what we're going to talk about today and and next week again is that we've got to be really careful that we 
don't approach culture the same way as these artists, as the church. We shouldn't be learning and understanding culture so that we can become culturally relevant mm-hmm. and have these kind of dynamics. I, I mean, it's quite tempting for us as Christians to, to abide some of this stuff, uh, you know, this, this confidence that comes from that particular expression of power for example there's a there's just this swagger that 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 comes from that and i was at a church planning conference last year where one of the speakers was saying if we're going to have successful church plants and we're going to be successful leaders in our culture we need to have a humble swagger and i I thought that was a strange phrase humble swagger and then i thought about it and i thought i wonder if they're actually seeking to in some way abide this sort of swagger that the hip-hop world has and this uh, you know this. You know I can get up on stage and dis, you know disagree with an award ceremony. I'm so <coughs> I have so much swagger. You know I'm the so, confidence. I, the confidence, yeah. But but I think I came away thinking about that a lot. And I think to add the word humble to swagger doesn't actually counteract that swagger. And I, I think personally, what we're exploring in this series is how do we be countercultural to that? Mm. And rather than have a humble swagger, how how do we just be humble leaders? And I think it's good to understand our culture but i think we've got to be really careful we don't syncretize our culture with the church and we've said a number of times over this season that with the homogeneous unit principle there is this embrace of culture but hussey is encouraging us that the bible writers always embrace and critique culture and i think uh we we we're, we're really seeking to do that humbly but we're seeking to be willing to critique our own culture and listen to um the Bible writers, as as you know, God has inspired them through His Holy Spirit that we might actually not think like humans. And I was thinking for today's episode, you know, the, a good verse for that for me is Romans twelve, which is one of my favourite chapters in the Bible. But um, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, um, and I think that's really important as we listen, as we understand people like Kanye West. We need to be prepared to be transformed and not try and create a church like he would necessarily, not not. Um, judging his you know latest um forays into jesus is king but definitely you know not be christian leaders who want to produce swagger because as we've seen uh that has that has actually led to uh um some arrogance in church leadership and it's actually led to the fall of some whole ministries like the whole mars hill thing Uh, i i look at that story with a great deal of sadness and think um you know was there a swagger about Um, the presentation of uh, some of the leadership in that church with Mark Driscoll and stuff. I think, you know, for for many people, I remember some of my friends saying about Mark Driscoll in the 2000s, like he seems to be able to be so culturally relevant and he's really able to speak into the cultural moment. And my response was, it sounds a bit arrogant to me. And I feel like, you know, even before I knew much of the backstory, I was like, well, it didn't really appeal to me, that presentation of christian leadership and so yeah i think it's really important that we don't syncretize so again if people don't know what syncretism is and never heard that before syncretism is taking two ideas and turning them into one idea and it's sort of a form of idolatry where you you know you profess a faith in christ but then you actually bring to bear cultural um artifacts that actually uh, are are not um concurrent with clothing yourself with christ they're actually counterproductive to your your faithful expression so i think i think the christian church throughout history has always struggled with this syncretism and we've got to be really careful in our generation that we don't create a cultural cool christianity and try and be like that i think we can stand back from that and say well yeah we don't we can understand it speak into it but not actually become like it yeah well that's part of embracing critiquing right yeah it is yeah like trying to decide whether whether what we should do with it based on the bible rather Mm. than the other way around um I th- I thought um, going back to that my beautiful dark twisted fantasy time for him, um, <clears throat> just a little little bit more information in that because it does seem a very pivotal point in his uh, uh, career. There was a story from um, Rizar from the Wu Tang Clan who actually went out there and recorded. He went out for two weeks to Hawaii, and he's like, "Man, I've never seen an artist work the way he does in terms of Kanye." He's said that basically all his team get together, they have breakfast. And then they like plan. They talk about what would the day before's recording went. How they plan the next day's recording, and then they exercise and play basketball together. And they do a little bit of charity work, or whatever. And then they hit the studio at four p.m. And sometimes they do it for twelve hours, which is a magnificent uh, work ethic. Um, whether 
uh, whether that played out later on in terms of the th- he actually talks about mental health that's the other thing we should talk about he actually gets mm. really brings the, the discussion about mental health into the mm. mainstream a lot as well given his struggles with mental health which brings up another one of Hussey's categories Joel which right. is anxiety and depression he says right. our culture is really framed by that yeah exactly so that's a, that's another thing that we can touch on right but um uh, can I can I jump in here? Oh, absolutely. Before, just before we move too far away from what Stu was saying before, yeah. um, just on that discussion of power and and the discussion of that album, uh, he released a song in that album called Power, mm. um, and uh, I just want to read a line or two from that. Um, which says, my furs is Mongolian, my ice brought the goalies in. I embody every characteristic of the egotistic. And then the chorus goes, um, no one man should have all this power. And it's just this idea of um, he's actually he he's gotten to a point where he is he is too powerful. Like he is um, um, <laughs> the the ice brought the goalies in is this idea of like he's he's got so many diamonds that um, like a hockey goalie he needs, <laughs> they need to be like guarding him and um, and yeah. He, but but it's this it's this understanding of the power he's got um, and in his album. Um, in his song Champion, um, I think I think it's that song. Um, he he talks a lot about being a role model, um, and sorry, all right, yeah. In his in the song, I think it's in the song Champion. He talks a lot about being a um, being a role model and what that looks like. Yeah, do you realize that you're a champion in their eyes? Yes, I did, and he and he talks a lot about that. Um, and he he understands the power he's got. Um, in all of those spaces, uh, not only in the stuff that, uh, that you were talking about, Stu, but also in the like in the eyes of the people that are listening to him and mm. um, and consuming and, and and you were saying that um, that we don't want to be like him is is some, and, and all these artists we see their power and we actually realize that we want to be we, we can learn from them but we want to be different to them um, but, but what he's saying is yeah people want to be like me everyone be like me. Um, and so that's that's some really cool points off the that, that are directly from his lyrics, uh, from that um, from that conversation there. Um, and just while you were mentioning the mental health thing, I think um, his diagnosis with bipolar uh, is a really important thing just to have that underlies all of this discussion, mm. um, because as we talk about Kanye's changing and his um, his shifts and his because uh, he does a lot of them like he is he's jumping around regularly and he's doing big things and he's pulling like he's had more unreleased albums almost than released albums like because he's brought like it's it's actually quite wild how many and uh, the the album that came out this year Donda uh, came out last month it was supposed to come out um, at the start of this year and he said no um, and then someone leaked it and so he released it like it wasn't even a, a thing that he wanted to do anymore um and that's like got 25 songs on it. Like that's a huge body of work that he wasn't even going to release. Um, that's what I've read anyway. And um, yeah, it's really interesting that, that that underpins a lot of what he does and um, a lot of the things that we, sh- when, as we talk about him, um, understanding that, yeah, that mental health stuff's pretty, pretty intense for him as well. Sorry mm. to jump in there, Joel, just before, thought I might... Just add that in before you moved on. Really no, interesting. No, it's totally fine. It's interesting how he does move on to that he has the mental health struggles that he talks about. But then if you perhaps look back at his music, you probably see that earlier on when he didn't actually talk about it. Mm. So there's all that, those shifting between the two different things. And um, I shouldn't profess myself as an expert in mental health, but my bipolar is obviously switching between two different um, modes that, that are either very depressive or very like manic. Um, but... Uh, the, the other thing he also does is start talking about um, uh, African-American issues as well um, in a different way to the way that uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar did. So that's another thing that he's doing. Um, so I'd, I, I find it interesting how he has said, it's almost like he's, again, reflecting the culture, going, I need to be the best. I need to earn the most amount of money. I need to work the hardest. I need to attain all this power that I need. And then he gets to a point where he's like, I've achieved so much power that my ego has overtaken me so much that I need to, hang on, I need to actually change again. And that's, I suppose that's where I was saying being cynical again is that I wonder if he's doing it for his career and to keep feeding that ego or he's doing it because he's actually having a realisation of I need to change the person of who I am. 
I think I've 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 did a little bit of uh, reading into this when it first happened was because I had those same kind of thoughts and um, he was admitted into a mental health hospital um, mm. because of um, because of the bipolar stuff and some other things that were going on and um, and in that time all he had was a Bible and so he was reading his Bible every day and getting to know that really well and um, he realized that through this whole time like even from his first album with um, Jesus Walks. Like he's been saying, I am a Christian. And like I'm, like he, he, he's talking and, and making gospel music and doing all this crazy, this cool stuff that's really Christian, but not Christian because it's Kanye being uh, self-centric and worldly and, um, and all this other stuff that, um, but when he came out of that hospital time, he said, actually, no, I'm going to change my life because I actually think this is legit. And I think this is true. And there's lots of stuff that he hasn't changed, and there's it's very it's very easy for us to look at that and go, um, oh, how legit is it, or how um, how sure of it are we? Um, but I think it's it's quite interesting to see that what changed him was not, um, oh, I had a cultural moment, but instead it was a moment of weakness mm. where he turned to the Bible, um, and I think that's a really for me I feel quite confident saying he's a Christian at the moment. Um, because I think, because I see that as the thing that turned him, not, oh, I had this big conversation with a really big famous pastor in America and that's what changed my life. Um, so yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, um, certainly, you know, I don't know the guy, don't know him personally and not in a discipleship relationship. I'm not going to make a comment (laughs) on whether he will be in, uh, in new creation with me or not. But (laughs) what I, um, do find fascinating is what we talked about before and you were saying the syncretism, Stu, is that um, if he has had a, a, yeah, a true repentance moment, which yeah, would love to think that he has, um, there's a lot to disentangle himself from in terms of the culture um, and there's so much of the um, pop music world, the hip-hop world, uh, the way that he's crafted his own personality as this messianic figure in his own right to disentangle from. Um, and so even that idea that, you know, as he becomes a Christian, has has a faith um, moment, and then thinks, well, how do I? What do I do with this? The the tools that he has available to him to think about how am I going to respond to this conversion moment? Well, I'm going to release an album and I'm going to sell it. And so there's even in that there's still this um, this world that he's in where it's I produce art for consumption, um, and I have these moments. I leak YouTube videos of my gospel things out in the desert so that they get cultural traction and and that's not a judgment it's just that it's a noticing that that is the cultural world that he is in and so there is a lot of things that um is just part of maybe that syncretism that he um you know we can look at people who are uh, not famous and not involved in that world to you know that extent and so it's easy to look at and say oh well he's clearly got some syncretistic things going on there that he needs to disentangle himself from I'm sure that in a hundred years' time, or even right now, my brothers and sisters can notice things that I haven't disentangled <laughs> from. Um, but yeah, I just think that that's an interesting part of the conversation as well. Is how does he reflect kingdom values? How does he reflect, um, you know, this this born again um, nature that he has uh, as a superstar? Um, w- what would that actually involve? How could you, how would you actually navigate that space? Mm. And, and just, celebrity conversions isn't anything new. No, uh, there was a lot of cynicism around Paul's conversion. That people were quite concerned: is this yeah. guy actually a Christian? And I think that was justified. And people were waiting to see what what the result of that was. And a long time afterwards, uh, um, Augustine's conversion was also mm. people wondered about his conversion. Uh, John Newton, the famous slave trader who became a Christian, who would then go on to write Amazing Grace and influence Wilberforce to. Uh, to be uh, an amazing uh, voice against slavery and actually overturn slavery in the British Empire. You know, he was actually questioned, is he really a Christian? And even Uh, John Newton, I mean, part of his story is he became a Christian and stayed in the slave trade for a while afterwards. It took him a long time to disentangle those things as well. And so, again, there's none of it. A judgment about you know eternal salvation here is just a noticing of what's going on for that person and the time it can take for a, a genuine repentance to actually bring about 
you know, gospel change in someone's life. Yeah, and, and then, you know, bringing that up to modern times, I mean, I, I remember reading about the conversion of Bob Dylan. Uh, he he was converted as a Christian, uh, according to what I read, which I'm not sure if it's right or not. It might be worth looking up again. But um, according to uh, what I read, uh, Randy Stonehill and Larry Norman from the Jesus Movement had some role in converting, um, well, uh, helping... Uh, Bob Dylan to make a commitment to Christ and then he made two famous albums which were Slow Train Coming and Saved so mm. he wrote those two albums in, and it was a similar kind of moment as the Kanye West moment which has just come out of the blue all of a sudden Bob Dylan singing about Jesus like what's going on so the critics panned it uh, no one bought it and later in the 1980s Larry Norman said um, if they didn't listen to Bob Dylan they're not going to listen to you so <laughs> that was actually used by Larry Norman to say to uh, another thing about these big celebrity conversions is sometimes the celebrity will become a Christian and a lot of Christians assume, oh, now this person's a Christian, everyone's going to become a Christian. Uh, but that doesn't always equate either. But uh, I don't know where Bob Dylan's at with his his faith these days, but uh, it, w- uh, it was it was a moment that, that caught the world's attention, actually. So that was similar. Um, a lesser known but very... Um, similar thing is that not only sometimes do uh, secular artists cross over into faith contexts uh, not just christian either by the way just before i move on um you know famously george harrison took the beatles over to india during the 1960s and they were trying to connect with eastern mysticism and that brought a lot of new age thinking into popular parlance so that was interesting but yeah it also can go the other way too that christian artists can cross over into a secular context as well so uh, again, probably not as well known, but there was a famous Christian artist in the 80s, Amy Grant, that had a go at writing a secular album. In the 1990s, MXPX was a very big tooth and nail uh, mm. artist on a Christian label that then crossed over into secular music. So there's this interesting journey that some people take one way and the other. So with, with Kanye, I think it's uh, yeah, it's not without precedent. And, and I think the, the temptation for Christians is to either decry it or to completely embrace it but again Ian Hussey is really helpful that we need to have that you know I think more helpful stance of um, you know using the Bible as our authority and and um, being prepared to even do this with our own lives too as you said Tim like none of us have uh, completely uh, without our culture that we belong to and you know straight if we go back to uh, that idea of uh, wealth and consumerism I mean wealth and consumerism is the air we breathe in Western society. And I remember John Piper making a bit of a famous call once and he said you should become friends with dead people because it's good to read books by Christians from other generations so that they might speak into your culture and actually speak into your life too. So while we're speaking about Kanye West and, and you know, analysing his story, which is fine to do, we should also be, uh, you know, every time we point one finger forward, we've always got three fingers pointing <laughs> back at us. So, you know, but as we, as we think about our country, Australia ranks as the second best country in the world for its quality of life, according to the United Nations Index. According to Hussey, uh, Australians can expect to live for 80 years. Uh, that's uh, people generally who are living in the cities. Um, the national income per person is about $60,000 a year. Uh, the Australians are also the world's second largest consumers of textiles, buying on average 27 kilograms of new clothing and textiles every year so we might look at at the bling that kanye west wears but then again thinking about ourselves would mm. be helpful to think that we christians and people who don't have faith are all influenced by this kind of uh way of living consumerism is very wasteful total uh wasteful consumption of goods and services that were never or hardly ever used was over 10.5 billion dollars a year annually so we buy 10 billion dollars worth of stuff that we don't even use mm. Uh, very much and he goes on to say the addictive nature of consumerism is highlighted by the fact that despite Australians being wealthy they're working longer hours in order to earn more money so they can feed their consumption so it's a a form of idolatry that we're stuck in Uh, despite our great wealth we are more likely to take than to give Gershom Nimbleblucker great great name advocacy manager of Baptist World Aid fantastic uh, organization pointed out that Australian Christians currently give on average just 2.6% of their income to charity, which is lower than the 3% 
given by broad Australian community during the Great Depression. So we're giving less and less money as we get more and more wealthy. He also reported that the Australian Bureau of Statistics from 2010 show that we are spending 25 times more on recreation than on giving. So we spend 25 times more on our holidays and our fun pursuits than we, than we give to other people. And obviously the Bible has a lot to say about wealth. So mm-hmm. as we're looking at the wealth and power of Kanye West, we need to also think about the fact that we are incredibly wealthy. And in fact, uh, Hussey points out that one of Jesus's favorite topics of discussion was wealth. Um, he goes on and he says this, he says, a wander through the car parks of most suburban churches in Australia would illustrate that consum- consumerism is not just a problem for the broader community. We have here perhaps the most important and threatening features of Australian culture. That's a big call. Like maybe one of the most threatening features of Australian culture is our wealth. We look to the authors of various chapters of this volume. To, yeah, so he goes on. And then it's interesting, his next category after that is anxiety and depression, which we've also looked at. And he said, despite our wealth, in 2014, 2015, there were 4 million Australians, 17.5% of the population, who reported having a mental or behavioural condition. So when Kanye comes out and says, you know, quite openly and talks about some of his problems, as some of the other artists we've talked about, it's actually a feature of... Uh, our zeitgeist at the moment our, our cultural moment to to talk about these things I think that's really co- people connect with it so at one point they're finding him really appealing because wealthy we're all consumers and at the other level we're all anxious and depressed um, I was at a um, a sports chaplaincy event a couple of years ago when they brought out uh, a lady from the well-being team from the NFL National Football League in America and she was saying that she thinks that what they're looking at in America at the moment is the next epidemic that's going to come through after COVID is probably going to be loneliness and people not having any friends and so here we are getting wealthier and wealthier we're more and more anxious and depressed and we're actually more and more lonely and so we have so much to share about how Jesus offers so much more than wealth. And Jesus says you can't follow two masters. You can't syncretize. You can't follow wealth and him because you'll love one and hate the other. So it is a really big warning for us and a really fascinating topic to raise through this artist today, guys. Yeah, When talking about Kanye... um very much getting into Christianity and being saved. He said, in 2019, when I was trying to serve multiple go- gods, it drove me crazy. In reference in reference to, he had he said, the God of ego, the God of money, the God of pride, the God of fame, and that I didn't even know what it meant to be saved. And then now I love Jesus Christ and I love Christianity. And I think that's that's an interesting way to, to parallel what you're talking about there, Stu. Um, I'd, uh, as part of the Shockers of the podcast, we always like to think about, well, how can we move forward in a way that we are, uh, as Hussey says, embracing or critiquing culture in a way that Jesus wants us to. Um, my question for both of you guys, and maybe I'll start with him, is uh, how do we have conversations about this, given that, as Hussey said, it's probably one of the biggest threats to um, Australian culture, or sorry, Australian Christianity, um, because of the culture, how do we uh, have these conversations about money and wealth and uh, perhaps fame and all those kind of things? Like, are you, you planning to become an Instagram influencer anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone will be interested in buying what I'm selling, but um, <laughs> got nothing to sell. Uh, no, um, but I do. I th- there's a number of ways that we can tackle this. I think there. There is a huge part, particularly for our the young people in our communities, in our churches, um, who do see um, being an, an influencer as a genuine vocation. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the start. That's the first thing. So they do think that um, and aspire towards being a YouTube star or an influencer on other social media, on TikTok or Instagram, are the some of the, the biggest with the ones with the biggest followings. Um, and so there is a desire for that to be a genuine vocation. And so I think there is a part of the gospel as we speak into that, which will um, challenge that and, and will say, well, uh, you know, what are the motivations? Um, and we can use examples of people like Kanye, who even when he is at the peak of his fame, um, he's also writing lyrics about how unhappy he is and um, that he he's critiquing himself and not quite sure what to do with that. Um, and it's, yeah, again, one of the really lovely things about his conversion story is the quote that you just read out where he's actually realising he was fighting against trying to worship so many gods and it was until he gave those up and, you know, embraced 
Christianity and, and Christ as his saviour, that um, he seems to be more free of those things. Um, and so there is a critique there on the desire to be influential, the desire to be um, famous, uh, and to think that that is where we're going to find fulfilment. Um, so there's a great, I think it's a, a good word of um, critique to our culture to do that. Um, at the same time, maybe something to embrace about that is that young people want to have purpose. Uh, they want to have things that they can grasp hold of. They, they want a life course which has, does have influence um, and that's exactly uh, in some ways how Jesus describes the Christian life, that there is, you know, we're being salt and light. They're not weak images. They're really powerful, strong images of the way that when we embrace Christ and we live according to the ethics of his kingdom, we actually can have a significant influence in our culture. We might not become YouTube stars with it. We might not be able to sell beauty products on Instagram, but there is actually a subversive power in that. And so... I think trying to work out how do you um, how do you communicate that to to young people in a way that doesn't just bait and switch. You're not trying to say, "Oh, you want power? Here's power." Like, but actually, says no. Actually, when you come to Jesus, when you embody the ethic of the kingdom, um, that is a purposeful life. Um, which I think was one of the things that um, you know John Piper in sort of late nineties, early two thousands, um, really sort of peak. Christian cultural moment with his book Don't Waste Your Life um, was this idea of like you actually can uh, embrace all the the goodness of life and have that influence um, and have a purpose towards life that is actually kingdom centric Um, and so there is a there's a way of communicating that and I don't think I'm very good at it but there's a way of communicating that to young people that says here's here's what you're longing for your longing is for Influence. Your longing is to be a change agent in the world, or we see the way that young people embrace climate change and other social issues, and we say, yes, that impulse is right and good. There is something that's really, really beautiful about the way that God is crafting in you um, to be a change agent, change agent, uh, and to be um, influential in that way. Uh, let's paint a picture and set a vision before you about how uh, being part of you know jesus church um the local church the global church can actually fulfill those desires that you have in you um and actually can provide that for you and let's as a church be a local church that embodies that um and then actually shows that and shines that forth i think so there's there's some of the things that come to mind when i think about that influence yeah that's cool thank you ethan do you mind if you jump in on this i'd be interested to know because you're a youth pastor at solveral church you obviously have a lot of contact with a younger crew at our at our church what is important to them in terms of this stuff? Do they see like money and power and um, like social issues as really important to them or is it is it something else? Yeah, I think... So going going even even younger, um, just off some of the stuff that Tim has said, I'm, I've had a lot of chats with primary school kids uh, and often it's a, it's a question, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this is just when you're teaching the scripture. When I'm, well, when I'm, I work. I, I've, I have worked at a before and after school care okay. at my local primary school, and um, have hung out with those guys. And oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Is one of the questions I ask, and because uh, it's just a way to chat. And and so often the answer is, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. Like <laughs> that. Mm. That is really interesting because yeah. that really yeah. reflects uh, the stuff that Tim was talking about. It's it's mm. what they're what they're consuming and what they're seeing is that is a really valid way to. Have a career. Like I can be, and I can easily create myself as an influential figure. And they're the people I look up to, not not astronauts. Like it's not I want to be an astronaut or (laughs) Or even a movie star or a pop star. Like they're, you know, when that was the media that we were consuming, you know, generations ago. Yeah, I want to be a rock star. Like that was that was the the peak of influence. But as you're noticing, it's the YouTube and is the peak of influence. And and um. And then fasting forward past high school, um, I did a communications degree at uni. And one of the things we got to do as our communication degree was they literally were like, uh, for this subject, uh, just put something on the internet and we'll call it a digital artifact and uh, you'll get marked on it. It'll be great. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, free marks. But, um, <laughs> but for a lot of people, what they did was they were like, oh, I'll just be an influencer. Like some dude got to um, 6,000 followers on Instagram. And all he did was like, oh, look at the stuff I do in my day. 
and he had abs and that was how he did it. But um, <laughs> but it was but it was just this idea of that's the like previously it would have been to um, I don't know there would have been lots of other things to attempt to do online to to be legit but a, a legit way of getting marked a legitimate way of getting marked and and being seen as someone who's using the internet correctly is trying to be an influencer um and then we get to high school uh, and we see all these teenagers that don't watch tv and they don't even really watch movies and they don't especially now that covid's been a thing like no one goes to the cinema uh they, they some more people are doing that now but sitting and watching youtube is a valid part of entertainment Mm. And the stuff we consume on YouTube is all of that stuff. I do um, it. Well, people will be watching this on YouTube as well. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and and that's okay. Like there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Mm. Um, but it's just that cultural shift of the people that have power and influence are just normal people on the internet rather than Kanye, uh, which is or, alongside Kanye. Like mm. uh, I had an anecdote from before when we were, that I thought would be funny to talk about while you were talking about um, <laughs> consumerism is the air we breathe. Uh, that is very true, uh, so much so that at a, at a re- very recent um, airing of Donda, which was Kanye's latest album, um, he there were people selling air from that concert because they were like, this air has heard Donda. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. And so wow. They'd like, they went in with like Ziploc bags and they like <laughs> captured the air oh, and they man. Ziplocked it and then they sold it for thousands of dollars online. Like they didn't just sell it for 20 bucks, like ha ha. Yeah, like yeah, it was, right. it was, there was, it was, it was, it's such a consumer driven thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, let's throw money at this because it's, it's such a big deal. Now, um, yeah, when we, when we talk about, when we talk about teenagers, that's the world they live in. And yeah. so of course that that's what they, uh, and young people, of course that's what we see and that's what we are surrounded by and consumed by and yeah. result in. Yeah. Like we will end up like that. Mm. Like, who has the who has the most expensive shoes is a really big thing. Yeah, sneakerheads. Yeah, all that kind of thing. Like, yep. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the thing that I'm thinking about with this too is that we do have another tool that postmodernism has given us, and it's called deconstruction. And so, uh, some of our listeners and viewers might not have heard of that uh, before, but a very prominent theme in our culture these days is to take something and then to change it to change its meaning, and sometimes even reverse something and reverse its meaning so as i was talking before about power that that that, you know old power was regaled in imperial splendor modern power deconstructs that to a t-shirt and a pair of jeans and I, i think it's fascinating when you see photos of people meeting the queen and there's a really famous photo of an australian comedian who was uh what's the guy who was crocodile dundee what was his name Oh, Paul, um, Paul Hogan. Yeah. When Paul Hogan met the Queen, he was wearing a pair of shorts and a ripped shirt. <laughs> and it was this funny photo of Paul Hogan just wearing these, you know, 1970s casual wear from Australian point of view, meeting the Queen who's all dolled up in her regalia. And, uh, or, or you see a rock artist, you know, meeting the Queen wearing a T-shirt and she's got a crown on. That's called deconstruction. And we can actually use that tool actually in the church as well. So some of our viewers might be seeing that we're wearing Soul Revival shirts. Mm. And you might look at that and you're thinking, hang on, you guys are talking a bit against consumerism and you're wearing Soul Revival t-shirts for your church. What's going on there? Well, uh, it's taking people from the known to the unknown. So people are used to seeing apparel that people wear and it's, it sort of uh, helps to identify people with a cultural artefact sometimes in our culture with a semiotic or a symbol of who they belong to. You know, like surfers wear billabong or rip curl or, and even different ages of surfers wear different things so older surfers like me wear billabong but younger surfers might wear uh you know uh mad huey's brand or whatever the, we di- we distinguish ourselves sometimes by what we wear and yeah, that, that goes wear supreme yeah supreme yeah that's exactly right so uh so there's a bit of an identity thing there we're having a bit of fun with but also rather than selling things to make money for ourselves to create wealth for ourselves which might be the expectation we're deconstructing this idea of wearing t-shirts by taking all the money that we earn and giving it to uh aboriginal ministries in northwestern new south wales so that we we're actually giving it away and so that causes people to have a conversation oh why wouldn't you keep it to yourself and you can have a conversation about does money ultimately satisfy anyway is 
is there uh, more good? And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, that famous, famous phrase, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And I think the irony is that the more consumeristic we get, the more burdened we get by that. It becomes our idol, and it's a really harsh taskmaster. We have to work harder and harder to get more and more, and the more we have, the more we want, and we've never, never got enough. And um, they, they talk about now that consumerism is even the process of opening a box or carrying a bag through the shopping centre. We're getting pleasure out of those kind of moments. And people who are marketing things to us understand that and try and give us those moments. And and it's sort of a, it's almost like a drug that people are on that um, we can't get off. Whereas Jesus is saying, look, if you think wealth and material things will give you pleasure and satisfaction and ultimate security... Uh, obviously people sooner or later are going to say this is hollow and and I'm actually more anxious and depressed than ever because I don't have meaning in my life. See, material things don't give meaning. Mm. They're just material things. They don't have a meaning by definition. And Jesus says, come to me, I have meaning. You know, and and so I think as people get more and more down the rabbit hole of YouTube and all this sort of stuff, I think our message may become even it may become more salt and light to people with that. The other thing I want to say just briefly as well is I think we've got to be careful too as Christians that we don't try and be syncretizing into this world of wealth and this world of cool um, and try and create a cool Christianity. Uh, back in the early 90s, I thought maybe the reason people weren't going to church anymore is because it was so daggy and not cool. But the cooler we tried to be, the less people that were interested. And I remembered back in the late 80s, I was in a university lecture in my political science degree where my lecturer said, uh, talking about Australia, actually saying that in the you know in the first part of Australia's modern history, Australia had a big cringe towards feeling that they weren't good enough, and England was the place where you would go if you wanted to get your career going for art or for music or for business or whatever it was. So it was, there was this sense of cring, you know cultural cringe, it's called, that we're not really as good as Britain. And then after the Second World War, there was a cultural cringe towards America that America was so fantastic, and we had to copy them if we were going to be cool. And I remember thinking about that, that uh, my lecturer said that, funnily enough, one of the key moments that broke that a little bit in Australian culture was that famous boat race. What was that boat race in the early 1980s? The America's, America's Cup. Cup. Australia won a boat race called the America's Cup and everyone went mad because we beat the Americans at something. And then all of a sudden people started going, maybe we can be a bit more confident just to be Australian. Maybe we don't have to have this cultural cringe. Mm. And I got thinking about that in the early 90s and I started thinking, I wonder if I have a cultural cringe as a Christian that I think Christianity is not quite as cool as the secular world and I've got to tr- create a Christian version of the world. And... Yet Jesus is saying, no, walk away from that and you can't serve two masters. Just come to me and I will give you rest. So I, th- I think for me that that deconstruction of uh, postmodernism to say, let's, let's actually create something, well, not create, let's actually express something different in the church to the world can be good. Now, I'm not saying we get that right all the time. In fact, you are talking about shoes a minute ago. One, we, we often talk about um, the shock absorber as things we've tried that have worked okay. Uh, with young people but I'll give you an example of one that hasn't worked so well in our past and that is we tried to tackle this wealth thing a little bit too bluntly once upon a time back in the late 1990s uh, everyone was wearing skater shoes and they were really cheap and quite grassroots and organic and so there was a big skate culture and surf culture in Soul Revival in the 1990s and we're all wearing skater shoes it was quite punk back in those days but then I think the market has got on to the fact that all the kids are wearing vans and all these shoes and they started inflating the prices of these shoes so once upon a time they were the cheapest shoes you could buy and you can get a pair of shoes for 50 bucks and then all of a sudden the same pair of shoes was now worth $230 and I remember having conversations with teenagers who were getting part-time jobs so they could afford their shoes and I started thinking well that's not necessarily how we have to go and I had a bit of a go at this deconstruction thing and I said well what if we uh, in a talk one night at Solis I said to the community of young adults I said what if what if we decided to do what we did in the early 90s and buy shoes because they were cheap not because they were fashionable why do we have to keep buying these skater shoes just because they're expensive why don't we all buy volleys which was a brand of shoes back in the day that was $25 I said what why don't we just buy shoes like that and literally 75 people left our group after that talk because they said, don't, don't dictate to us how we use our money. That's like you're controlling us. And, and like, like I might not have presented it very well, but I tried really hard to do it with freedom and to say, let's opt into this. But just by challenging that 
and it was before, you know, uh, challenging, you know, these big corporates for the price of their shoes was a bit trendy, you know, in the 2000s and 2010s when issues like, you know, um, uh, you know, buying shoes that are that, that aren't made by people under ethical, terrible ethical, ethical, ethical fashion, fashion that's the word I'm yeah. looking for. You know, later that would become a bit trendy, but before it was trendy, we were sort of saying, why don't we buy shoes that, that don't get made by slave labour and they're actually cheaper and it was just such a massive shock to the system that yeah 75 people left our group over that and so i think it's it's uh possibly we didn't do it very well and didn't raise the conversation real good so that's uh you know good to learn a lesson from that but at the same time it is such a big part of people's lives now that uh, i think there's a famous saying where people say the last thing to get converted in a christian is their wallet and i think you know there might be a little bit of truth in that (laughs) yeah yeah, for sure would you agree with that tim any final final points as we wrap up the episode? Yeah, I know, absolutely agree with that. I remember that talk. Um, <laughs> do you really? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right. and, uh, and a couple of the brand names we, you particularly called out. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> is, is that because you were wearing them? No, I wasn't. No, I I was too cheap. I mean, I was <laughs> I, I was poor, and you know, I, yeah, I don't think I could have afforded the, those brands if I wanted to. Um, but the I think you know through a lot of this and and talking about as we've talked about influence um and power and those kinds of things one of the um the verses that has come to mind is psalm 73 which is very similar to jesus words about come to me you're weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest it has that same sort of flavor to it as a psalm even though it's you know in the old testament before jesus um and the psalmist here um asaf he talks about, um, he said, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on for almost two-thirds of the psalm talking about how great the life is of the non-Christian um, or, or the non-Israelite um, and how wonderful their life is and how he just envies them. And he looks up to them and he goes, I want to be like that um, and trying to chase after the things of that world um thinking that that is where he's going to find his pleasure and his fulfillment um and then the the crux comes oh no i can't find it where does he where's the verse um but he talks about Sorry, I'll find it. Here it is. Um, I tried to understand all this. This is verse 16. I tried to understand all this. It troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. And that's the turning point of the whole psalm because what he does is he walks into the, the temple, um, uh, you know, the church of the day. Uh, he fixes his eyes on God, Yahweh, uh, and he realizes, you know, where he is and whose he is. Uh, and that helps, you know, it, it gives him the, the slap in the face, the bucket of cold water to realise, no, no, all those other things that I, I look at and I envy and I, I see all of that and I want all of that. And then I get this big bucket of cold water on my head that says, no, 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 this is Yahweh. You know, for, for us, up the other side of the cross, this is Jesus. You know, he is actually where I'm going to find my rest. And I think it's really interesting. I was really struck by that line in Hussey's essay where he talks about the giving and the fact that Christians today uh, in the twenty late twenty or early twenty first century are giving less as a percentage of their wealth than they were during the depression. When they had just, nothing. When they had nothing, I just think that is so striking. Um, and also, while they didn't have the same metrics for mental health uh, during the depression years as we have now, that whole field has grown remarkably. Um, it's undeniable that the rates um, of um, you know mental health um, have deteriorated rapidly over the last few decades. And so that somehow there's a correlation there between the fact that we have all of this money and we're desiring all of these things. We're stuck in the first two thirds of this psalm. Um, and the thing for, for Christians, firstly, uh, internally, and then to shine out to the world is actually that, that pivot point in verse 17 to actually turn, actually there, there is rest. There, there is fulfillment um, and to turn it all back to, to Kanye I really do hope and pray that you know this conversion experience he's had in the last few years is, is genuine and that he's finding these moments where he does not need to rely on his his album sales or his fashion or his crowds or all of that acclaim that comes with being the sensation and the cultural influence he is which is why we're talking about him but can actually really find his rest in Jesus and that's what I would love to be able to put out um, to 
our church to our young people and then continue to shine that out into the community. Mm. Yeah, I think um, listening to you talk about um, the Psalm 73, is that right? Psalm 73. It's just a clear indication of like how unchanging God is. Yeah. Too, because like it's like we talk, you talk, it's talking about prosperity there, but prosperity is all in different forms and um, consumerism, wealth has all been in different forms from perhaps the beginning of time. Um, I was reminded of a story, I'm in the middle of a biography on John D. Rockefeller and John D. Rockefeller is like the richest man in the world in the 1800s. Like his oil company, Standard Oil, actually got split up by the US government in the early 1900s and it's now forms three of the biggest oil companies in the world today. So that's Exxon, Chevron and BP. So that's like how widespread his company was and he was like, I need to give money away. He was very influenced by the Baptist church and he gave a lot of, he was like, I need to expand my philanthropic efforts. I need to to do something about this because I've got so much money I don't know what to do with. And so he decided he wanted to start a university. And so they went back and forth, maybe I should be in New York or should be somewhere else. And eventually they settled on Chicago. Um, and they became really enamored with a, a, a biblical scholar, a guy called Dr. William Harper. And he was at, originally at the time, he was at Yale. And he actually went to, like he was a boy wonder. He went to college at 10 Took his BA <laughs> at fourteen. He completed his PhD at eighteen, Jeez. and so he's he's like I still haven't completed my PhD. And I'm fifty three. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> um, so Rockefeller is like you're going to be the head of that university. Um, he had to convince, took some convincing, but he he eventually ended up doing it. And Rockefeller's thing was always like start small, do it. And Harper went in just big time, just like hiring all the um, big names at the time from all different schools to become part of the faculty. Um, but at the same time, he was on quite a large salary because Rockefeller wanted to give him the money he was he deserved. But then he also went on the lecture circuit and was earning lots of money um, uh, doing that. He went on a big European holiday as well. And there's a quote in the book where it says, it was an odd situation. The world's richest man was chastising a biblical scholar for unseemly materialism. And I thought that was really interesting because on the flip side, to bring it back to Kanye, that was at the point that um, Rockefeller really started to experience a lot of mental health issues as well. So I think I tell that story just because, um, as a reminder of what you're saying, Tim, that God doesn't change. Like even now we're really consumeristic. We're this, I think that we're the most or second most indebted country in the world in terms of um, private debt. So we're obviously spending a lot of money on a lot of things. Um, but Jesus doesn't change, right? Jesus changes everything, but he also doesn't change because that's why he changes everything. So I think that was a really encouraging um, way to finish up. So thank you thank you very much for that, Tim. Um, let's wrap up this episode. Um, I do think we do need to start talking about the internet and how it drives c- consumerism. So I think that's a good thing to wrap it up and maybe talk about in later episodes. Um, but uh, guys, if we did talk about Sorrow Apparel, if you would like to purchase some of that where all the profits go to our indigenous ministry partners you can go to sorrelrevival.shop we'll put the link in the show notes for that um we have a very exciting podcast coming up next episode where we actually have ian hussey coming on so we're really excited about that we're going to talk about all those things that we've been talking about this season um you can check out all our podcasts on your favorite podcast app or on youtube um and uh, as always we like to finish up with a one way one way thank you